1: Yeah, he brought out a little glass pipe with some crystals in there and um, he said, do you want to try some of this? And it didn't look like, it's not like a needle going into your arm or a pill that you can't control. I thought, you know, it's just a little bit of a smoke and I'll have a puff and see what it feels like, you know? And that's how it happens. You know, people don't realise, you know, what an entrapment and a lie, this little glass pipe with crystals in there, where it's going to take you, it's going to take you to hell.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, sometimes in life we face temptations and we have no idea where they'll lead. For Andrea Simmons, following one temptation led her down a path where she nearly lost everything. Andrea was a successful businesswoman and devoted mother when she became addicted to ice, otherwise known as crystal methamphetamine. As we will hear, her life became one long downward spiral. How did it all go wrong and how did her life finally turn around? Well, we'll find out her story today as she has a chat with Eric Skadabo. Andrea, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me here, Eric.
0: Glad to have you with us and let's
2: find out a little bit about your background. What was your life like before being introduced to ICE?
1: Well I got married pretty young Eric at 19 um and at the age of 21 I had two children ran a, a successful building company made quite a bit of money um in the building trade and you know traveled a bit and um you know had a good life you know I think after 21 years of marriage you know we had some uh, differences and we separated and uh you know our kids were grown up and we uh, went our separate ways and uh, we there was no uh, God in our life or um, but we were okay you know we, we worked hard and um, and we just were looking after the family as so to speak and I met somebody that I had known in my past who I had known now for 13 years um, I reconnected with that person and um,
2: and you were living on the Gold Coast at this time?
1: Yes, well I grew up in Melbourne, um, in in Victoria, and moved to the Gold Coast, Uh, it's been 18 years now, so I was living on the Gold Coast at the time of the separation, uh, when uh, I I reconnected with with somebody that I had known from my past, and who introduced me to the drug ICE, um, which I didn't know, Eric, what it was really, when I first um, decided to try it.
2: So it just started off as a romance, you reconnected with this man who you said you knew for a while, so th- it wasn't like he was a stranger. You kind of knew him and his background, and so you trusted him.
1: Yeah, well, I worked with him, and um, you know, I was married at the time and never engaged in any um, anything but a friendship. But um, you know, I was separated, mm-hmm. so I thought, you know, I, I pursued that, and um, you know, I very quickly um, fell in love with with this man, um, but didn't realize that he was um, he was on drugs, and I, I had known worked with him for 13 years, so it's not like it he yeah. was a total stranger from, you know, it, that came out of nowhere and just handed me some drugs, you yeah. know. Yeah, Um And, and you know, that the old quote, you know, you trust me, don't you? It's just going to make you relax. It's not going to hurt you. Um, oh,
2: so that's what he said to you. Yeah. So here you had no idea, you just thought he was a nice guy that you knew. Yeah. Through your work. Yeah. And he was the one that said, hey, try this drug.
1: Yeah, well, I went down to back down to Melbourne to reconnect with him, and um, yeah, he brought out a, a little glass pipe with some crystals in there, and um, he said, do "You want to try some of this?" And I, I said, "Look, I don't do drugs, you know. I, I mean, I I didn't go into that whole party scene as a teenager, you know. I, I was mm-hmm. married young, I had kids, you know. Mm-hmm. I was more family focused, and um, yeah. So I was like, I don't do drugs, you know. And he said, "Look, you trust me, don't you? It's just going to make you relax." And, you know, let your hair down. And I thought, well, I hadn't tried anything before. And I'm 40 years old and I have no little babies to, you know, to contend to. And, you know, everybody tries something. And it didn't look like, it's not like a needle, Eric, going into your arm or a pill that you can't control. I thought, you know, it's just a little bit of a smoke and I'll have a puff Mm -hmm. and see what it feels like, you know. Um, Yeah.
2: So, I mean, I'm just trying to put myself in your place. In your mind, he was a successful businessman. So, yes. That would tell you, well, hey, if he can do it and have a successful life, it should be okay. Is that kind of what you were thinking?
1: That's right. And little to my be knowing, um, he, you know, he'd had a very successful business life and, you know, he was doing a $7 million project at the time. And, um, you know, he um, was on the stock market and, you know, the stock market crashed and he lost everything. And somebody um, said to him, you know, have a bit of a smoke of this and it'll make you, you know, relax about everything you've just lost. He was in turmoil, you know? And um, somebody, gave him an ice pipe (laughs) um so he
2: had basically the same thing happen to him that happened to you
1: and that's how it happens you know people don't realize you know what an entrapment and a lie this little you know glass pipe with crystals in there where it's going to take you it's going to take you to hell
2: so what happens after he introduces you to this and you succumb to temptation and you took your first puff of ice
1: yeah I did. And I wanted to try it. and it very quickly, Eric, it took over my life. Um, I started mm. using you know every few days, and then I started using very quickly. I started using every day. Um I had you know three houses, um my Mercedes, you know, I had twenty one thousand dollars worth of jewelry on my hands. Wow, and i I sold my sixty thousand dollars Mercedes convertible for twenty thousand dollars for drugs, um three houses that I owned, you know, I just sold them for, next to nothing just to, you know, keep afloat of the mortgage because I was using all the money on drugs, you know. Yeah, so
2: correct me if I'm wrong, but initially you thought, well, this would just be a little recreational drug on the side, you know, just to have a little fun. But you're saying it became so much more than that. It became your whole world.
1: Absolutely. It took over um, my whole being, you know, spirit, soul, and Mm -hmm. body. Um, It was almost like air. I needed it to survive. Eric, it was, um, it just took total control of me. I went down very, very quickly, um, you know, ended up in an empty house, um, sold everything. I lost connection um, with my family, with my life and my friends, and I was isolated in a room in Melbourne where I lost contact with reality. You know, I was, I thought the government were after me. I thought um, I was so extremely paranoid. Um, Oh, wow. I was seeing things. Paranoid delusions. Yeah, I was seeing things, you know, um, that went there and it was really scary. You know, it was really scary. And the more I would say, I don't want to do this drug anymore and I want to stop, the downward spiral of depression and delusions and, um, you know, suicide thoughts and um, psychosis would kick in even more. So the only thing that could take the edge off that whole downward spiral was to have another pipe and to try and escape it you know, and you're entrapped. Wow,
2: so this sounds like a vicious cycle.
1: It's, it's horrific. It is a hell in itself, you know, mm. you're entrapped um, in this vicious cycle, downward spiral that you don't know how to get out.
2: Did your relationship with anybody from your old world continue? Did no. they know what you were going through?
1: No, no, definitely not. Um, we mask it very well, you know, when you're in nice addiction, you know, lies and deception is, is a huge part um, of your life and, um, you know, I remember thinking that I was ringing my kids on a regular basis, and my daughters would say, "Mum, we heard from you over a few months, if that." And to me, because there's no time in ice world, um, to me, wow. I was ringing them weekly, you know, and trying to pretend that everything was okay and hang up very, very quickly so they didn't notice that it wasn't okay.
2: Wow. So even your recollections of uh, relationships were not accurate. That <laughs> no. <laughs> sounds like.
1: No, nothing was accurate. You know, my perception, I was living in another realm of existence and my perception of everything was warped and incorrect.
2: So you normally are a very outgoing person, but you had become very isolated.
1: Yeah, that's right, Eric. I mean, I was involved in musical theatre and um, very social and, you know, with the kids engaged in in the children's activities and dance schools and, I became totally isolated, you know. Um, I didn't mm. connect with anybody. You know, people think that taking ice is like a party drug. On the mm-hmm. contrary, it's, it, it really does take you away from anything that's real and, and this world. Um And I ended up in, you know, an empty house. The walls were all black from, from smoking. You know, this drug and, you know, the windows blocked out because of, you know, I, I thought the government were after me and they, they had cameras in the trees and, you know, oh, wow. it was scary to go out during the day and, You know, everybody, it looked like everybody was chasing and knew what I was doing. And yeah, it was very, very scary. I got lost once around the corner from my house, Eric, you know, this.
2: Yeah, tell us about that.
1: I took my computer because I thought the government were inside my computer and that they, I had to take it to the shop to get it fixed and get them out of my computer. So (laughs) I went up the road and I just started walking and I ended up, um, the shop was closed. So I went to the man next door and it was a milk bar and I, I started terrorizing him, saying, where's the man next door? He should be here and, you know, is he in with the the government? You know, did he know I was coming? And I ended up coming out of there and and looking to the left and to the right and going, I don't know how to get home. And um, I spent the whole day on the curb crying and thinking... I don't know how to get home and I had lost my phone and you know life becomes so messy and um, yeah. and um then people were saying are you okay and as I'm sitting on the side of the curb you know in tears and I thought they were part of the government conspiracy that were coming to chase me and I was scared and as the dusk started to set um, and it started to get cold you know and the man from the milk bar closed up and he, he suggested you know were there any landmarks that I remember and I, I did remember an oval where I lived and the building was orange and he said why don't you catch cab i think um the cab driver will know where that is and he dropped me off around the corner from my house from where i was you know i was around the corner Mm -hmm. and i had no perception of you know reality and and what was going on it was just it was really scary
0: you're listening to the story today andrea simmons is sharing her story about her addiction to ice otherwise known as crystal methamphetamine as we've been hearing the addiction has taken over her life and she has sunk into the depths of darkness and despair next we'll hear how she finally reaches her lowest point and how god intervenes in a miraculous way that and more when we return if this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for we'd love to pray for you I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Today, Andrea Simmons is sharing her story with Eric Scatterbo about her addiction to ice, otherwise known as crystal methamphetamine. Before the break, we heard how her life was on a downward spiral. Unfortunately, it gets worse before it finally gets better.
1: I think the lowest point, um, there were many low points, Eric. Uh, I think the near death experience that I had was probably the lowest point where the dealer gave me some, what they call G, uh, which is a clear liquid to, and he said it would help enhance, you know, my experience because I I was telling him this, the deal that he gave me was no good. And I didn't know, but it's horse tranquilizer. And the capacity for me to rationalize and think, what is this? What am I putting in my body? What's going to happen? What am I taking? Yeah. Um, I stopped breathing, Eric. You know, oh, wow. I, I just went out, you know, and um, I remember opening my eyes and going back into the blackness three times. And I remember one day my dad told me if somebody's drowning and they go under three times and they they don't come back up. So I went out into the blackness for the third time and I thought, I'm dying here, Um, I can't breathe. And I remember, you know, in my soul crying out, if there is a God out there, forgive me for who I've become and what I've done with my life and don't leave me here, you know, take my soul. And yeah, it was, um, I woke up many hours later at the end of a house with the door shut locked in a room and... I thought I won't do G again. That was a horrific experience. I was feeling unwell, but I picked up another pipe because that's all I knew how to do at this stage. You know, it was like breathing, and it was like another. You know, not long after that, four or five days or so, that I had my the the encounter with God. See, when you're on ice, you take ice for you know four or five, sometimes seven, even ten days at a time without sleeping, without eating, without drinking anything, and you just lose contact with reality, you know. And what happens, your body shuts down at some point and you crash. And um, I slept for four days straight. And when I woke up, nobody was in the house and I had no cigarettes and I had no no gear, um, when we refer to ices and drugs being gear. Um, mm. And I couldn't get in touch with anybody and I had anxiety and I put my runners on and I took a walk outside the back of where I lived because there was an oval at the back. And I don't mm-hmm. know what possessed me to take a walk outside in the day. It had to be, you know, I had this pooling, this drive. And I crossed the Oval and I ended up at an Orthodox church across from the Oval. Um, and it was all vandalized, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was graffiti and, and the timber locking up the front doors. And, you know, the grass was grown and the fence was broken and all the concrete leading up to the steps of the church was all broken. And you know, I, I remember standing there and looking at this disaster, and I'm thinking, who does this to the house of God? What a disrespect! I mean, I was never religious, Eric. I, I yeah, you know, I didn't really, I didn't never went to church. I, um, mm-hmm. I knew there was somebody that created everything, but you know, I didn't understand who he was, and and that most of all that he loved me, you know, and
2: yeah. But yet, you were kind of revolted that uh, the house of God was not being respected.
1: I was revolted and. Eric, that's what I was doing to the temple of the Holy Spirit you know me the temple mm-hmm. of yeah. my spirit that I, I had destroyed it you know my hair was falling out, I was weighing forty kilos um my kidneys were bleeding, you know I had broken wow. my front tooth and my gums were all inflamed and i w- you know I had scabs on my legs I was just and i had you know I had been dragged through the mud, you know
2: yeah, yeah, so you're standing in front of that rundown church abandoned church.
1: What happened next? So I was standing there and I looked at this church and I said, who does that to the house of God? You know, it's what a disrespect. And at that moment, Eric, I looked up at the top of the church and I saw this cross inside a circle. So that's how Mm -hmm. I you know, understood it later as it must be an orthodox church. And um, I remember a light came out of the sky and it was like in a cylinder. It was the widest light that I have ever seen. And it was like being inside a cloud that was lit up. And it came through the cross and over the top of me. And at that moment, Eric, um, I was just pushed down by a force onto my knees and then wow. flat on my face. And I'm on the steps of this church, and there's this light over the top of me in a cylinder and this force holding me down. I was pinned down, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I started crying. I didn't know what was happening to me. And I remember, you know, I'm pinned down with my face to the ground but I could see on the side and people were walking and I'm saying you know help me let me go let me go and these people weren't even looking at me Eric and I you know then I started to think I must be in an alien encounter these people can't see me you know Mm. Um, otherwise they would surely reach out to help a woman who's on the ground going help me let me go but they weren't even looking at me so I was convinced I was having an alien experience and then I thought, I'm delusional and crazy, I've lost my mind, a little bit too much drugs. Hmm. The only thing is that it wasn't just in my mind, it was physical as well. I was pinned to the ground and I was just crying and I was pleading with this force to let me go. And it released me, but only up to my knees. Hmm. And I sat on my knees in this light and in this amazing Peace that came with it, and I am pleading with it. Please, what do you want with me? Please let me go. Oh, this is crazy. I'm talking to myself now. And Eric, God spoke to me, and it was as clear as you're speaking to me now. And He said, in the most beautiful, tender, gentle, loving voice, it was a male voice, and He said, Get up and go home, my child. And I went, oh, no, this is getting from bad to worse. I'm seeing a light, I'm feeling a force, and now I'm hearing audible voice. I've I've lost the plot here. And I started crying more, and I'm like, please let me go. What do you want with me? And he repeated, get up and go home, my child. And at that moment, Eric, I knew who was talking to me, and I just broke down in a fetal position, and I, I said, go home to what? I've got no more home. I said, look at me. I can't do this anymore. I said, I've got no more strength. And I went into like a fetal position and I just sobbed like I've never sobbed before, you know, from the pit of my being. And um, he said to me, I will give you strength. And at that moment, the light disappeared. I was released and I stood up and it was like I was in a trance sensation and I turned around and I had this peace upon me and I knew exactly what I had to do and I kept hearing, you know, book your flights and I went online and I called the airline and they said $76 and I hung up and the voice said to me check your account and I had $76 in there and oh, wow. a series of coincidences took off from there because the voice said to me call your friend Charles and who I had grown up with in Melbourne when I was younger and I called him and he happened to be five minutes away from my house when he lived like forty five minutes away and he had his trailer hooked up at the back and he said I was wondering why I had my trailer hooked up from the weekend and he I put all my stuff on there and I he took me to my friend's another friend's house near the airport and you know, I was telling her, God's talking to me and you know, my friend said, You know, you've lost your mind you know, this is not normal and um, I thought maybe she was right, you know, but it wasn't until the very next day that I arrived at the airport and I waved her goodbye and I'm weighing 40 kilos and I've got two 30 kilogram suitcases that I'm wheeling and that was my whole life left, you know, all my yeah. all my houses, all my cars, all my possessions, everything I own, this is what it accumulated to, two suitcases, 30 kilograms each, weighing more than me and I'm carrying them in to the airport and It was like the life, my whole soul, my whole life, my energy, everything in me got sucked out of me and I collapsed on my suitcases. And my vision, I lost my vision. It went all black. And then all of a sudden I saw like, it was like a movie show, showreel. And it was like Mm -hmm. um, a long strip and it was black and white and silver. And it was Jesus carrying the cross. And he was looking at me and he said, you're carrying your cross. I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And wow. This happened to me three times, Eric, before I got on the plane. You know, and I, I had a lady behind me, you know, lift me up and say, Are you okay? And I said, No, but I will be and she said, Yes, you will come. And as I wiped my eyes and, you know, apologised for you know, I was embarrassed, I was on the ground and then there was no lady there and I'm thinking, I'm I'm going crazy, you know, I'm I'm losing my hmm. mind. And um, this series of coincidences took place, and you know, later learning about scriptures because I was led into in into a Christian fellowship um, where people told me, you know, your experience of collapsing three times, you know, carrying a cross. Um, Jesus collapsed three times on the way to his crucifixion. And I'm like, what has that got to do with me? Like, I don't know any mm. of this stuff. I'm not religious, you know. But I <laughs> was, you know, inside me, I had to find out what it had to do with me because it was the most... The most loving experience that I've ever had in my life. And uh, he helped me, you know. He helped me out. Wow,
2: that's fantastic. Now, you heard the voice tell you, go home. So I'm assuming you're getting on that plane to go home to the Gold Coast? Yes, that's right. And to your mother?
1: And to my mother and to my family, yes.
2: So unfortunately, we're running out of time. But what happened next in your life?
1: So what happened next, um, I just... uh, you know, I needed to find out what was this force and what who was leading and talking to me for, and I was led into a uh, into a church, a non denominational church that I got to learn about the scriptures, and you know, and I kept following the the leading of that voice, um, which now you know is God. Um, he was just loving on me and helping me not to commit suicide and putting people around mm-hmm. me because you know God works through people and He was putting people around me where I needed it and to help me um, rebuild you know rebuild me you know and yeah start yeah. again mm.
2: so did you go through a formal
1: recovery program no I didn't people ask me that and I say you know God took me into a church where I engaged in there four days a week. Um, I did see a drug and alcohol counsellor on the, you know, the people around me that were placed around me um, recommended. And mm-hmm. um, so I saw a drug and alcohol counsellor and I was four days a week in a church. Uh, I did recovery. I did I had no detox, Eric. I had no side effects of detox. And he just took away all of my cravings and everything at once. Um, wow. And I just.
2: Yeah. So you reconnected with your mother and with your children?
1: I did, yes. I reconnected with my mother. She, they all thought I was crazy um, because I'm telling them God's talking to me and, you know, we have to go to this church. And. But they uh, just loved on me, you know. They just loved on me, and um,
2: so they didn't go to church at that point. Oh no,
1: no, they weren't Christians. Um, my whole family now do follow the Lord, and um, they could see what oh, He's done in my life. You know, how can you yeah. not? I want some of that. You yeah. know,
2: so you return to your mother over time. You gradually recover from your drug addiction. And fast-forwarding to today, you eventually go on to become the founder of the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign. Take us up to the present.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, The Australian Anti-Ice Campaign, we educate youth and uh, communities about the dangers of ice. And we also help people in addiction create pathways into recovery.
2: So obviously you can talk from your own experience.
1: Absolutely, all of our presenters do. Um, so basically people like myself who have recovered can help other people that are in addiction and yep. also warn people about this drug and what it really does to you and how destructive it is. We also do work in prisons, in child safety, in hospitals, and with frontline workers who work in, you know, uh, with sh- people living in the street and homelessness and so forth. We can give them mm-hmm. an understanding of what is going on in the brain and the life of somebody that's entrapped in ICE addiction so that they can better help them, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, what an amazing transformation. I mean, when you were crying in front of that milk bar and then in front of that run down church you know nobody would think there was any hope for this person in the natural no. but amazingly god reached into your life well he spoke to you literally yeah and through a series of events him leading and guiding you and going back to your mother Wow, what a transformation And now you're helping other people
1: There is so much more in between, Eric That, you know, just, yeah, um, yeah. you know it, it, We don't have enough time to fill that in But, yeah. you know, I allowed God to lead me You know, I opened my heart mm-hmm. And I, I was so broken And thank you f- to Jesus for allowing me to start again You know, everybody deserves a second chance
2: Well, thank
0: you so much for sharing your story with us today
1: Thank you for allowing me to do that It's a real blessing, Eric
0: Well, what an amazing way that God has worked in the life of Andrea Simmons. Just when it looked like there was no hope for her and she was in the depths of despair as a drug addict, God intervened in a miraculous way and her whole life turned around. As the saying goes, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And he can pull you out. All we have to do is grab onto his outstretched hand and put our faith and trust in him. And for Andrea, it did not stop with her merely being set free from addiction. But she's now actively helping others become free and warning others about the trap of ice addiction. As we heard, she's now the founder and CEO of the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign. And they run courses in schools educating people about the dangers of ice. For more information, their website is Australian Anti Campaign. .org.au. That's Australian Anti Ice Campaign.org.au. Well, thanks for joining us for Andrea's inspiring story. I really found it encouraging. I hope you did too. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. In grade 11, we just did a fun little thing uh, on the way to school, but there was a Christian on the tram who told the headmaster. I and a couple of others were organising the punishment of this uh, Christian. So various people were punching him, others were ringing him up at 2 o'clock in the morning, others harassing him. But in, in my case, I was going to go, I wanted to disrupt his youth group. Jim Rawson says that when he was a young man, he was a bit bitter and twisted. One day, he even attended a church youth group with the intention of getting revenge. However, something unexpected happened when he was asked to open the Bible. We'll find out how God changed the direction of his life next time. The story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.